the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome to another episode of the In Conversation podcast series. My guest today is soul coach Susan Lawrence. Good afternoon, Susan. Welcome to my podcast series. Hi, Nigel. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast today. You're How most... are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. All things considered. So what have you been up to during the lockdown? Well, basically, um, during this lockdown period, it's been quite a journey. Much to my surprise, I actually went down with suspected COVID-19 on the 18th of March after having a week off on annual leave from work. And it just basically hit me and knocked me for six. It was probably a, an illness experience that I've never experienced in my life. And basically what it what it did is it really did take me right down to the bottomless pit. In that situation, I was confronted with my own mortality, the fears of everybody else, and also survival of trying to bring myself back up to healing. And when you're in that mode and you're trying to heal from a virus that assails your body and makes you feel really terrible, your survival instincts kick in and you go on autopilot. And basically what happens, you're so busy trying to get through the symptomatic side of things that later on the emotional and the psychological side kicks in because you've been on autopilot. That must have been very frightening. It was frightening. And if I was to say to you that I wasn't scared, I would definitely be lying. There were moments that I was confronted with a feeling like something was like hands around my throat. And I've got an adversity to feeling or wearing anything around my throat that feels tight or restrictive. So what it did do with the coughing sensation and with feeling that something was continuously stuck in my throat with this really dry hacking cough, it triggered off a fearful feeling of like I couldn't breathe, like something was around my throat. And I remember one night just basically saying, I just want it to go. I just want it to go. And it was such a horrible feeling to go through all the symptoms. And my symptoms were, I had severe headaches. I had severe body aches. And those body aches really hurt. I had the dry hacking cough. I had nausea and I had diarrhea and I couldn't eat a thing. So not only was I experiencing those symptoms, I was also trying to keep myself going, but couldn't eat anything because my body just didn't want anything. It didn't want to accept it. So I had to keep drinking water. And it was just a really uncomfortable, frightening experience. And unfortunately, I was placed in a situation that I couldn't have anybody with me. So basically, I had to go through the whole experience in a physical sense, I say, in a physical, emotional and spiritual sense on my own. I did have some beautiful support at the other end of the phone, which was very invaluable to me at the time. And that was literally allowing myself to be completely exposed and completely invulnerable in that moment of my illness. 
and having somebody at the end of a video call just to be there for me. And that is something that I will, not only will I remember for the experience itself, but also I will I will remember the experience itself because of how it made me feel. But I will always remember that it was really, it was really supportive to have a sort of spiritual, emotional presence, albeit virtually. Does that make sense? Yes, to an extent. So when did you decide to go to hospital or how did you end up in hospital? I ended up in hospital for a brief period of time. I would probably say I was probably there for about maybe four, I would say it was about four hours, maybe six hours. I don't know. I think I'd lost track of time by that time. When I called when I called 111 and I called the ambulance because I couldn't breathe and I had a high temperature and basically what was happening is my breath, my breathing was becoming, it was becoming difficult to breathe through, through the cough and just the feeling of tightness in my chest. So then they took me to hospital and they put one of those, um, just like an oxygen mask on me, briefly for a little while. And then basically what they decided, once they'd taken me in, I had a chest x-ray and I was given, you know, like paracetamol. And I was told that there's not much that they could really do. You're not allowed, you weren't allowed to take any strong painkillers like ibuprofen. You could only take paracetamol. And they felt that it was better for me to be at home because it was more risky for me to be at hospital. So how long did it take them to diagnose you then? I wasn't officially tested, but once I came out of the hospital with my discharge paper, what was on the paper was suspected COVID-19 symptoms. And they put it down as mild. But I can honestly say to you that I don't feel that my symptoms were mild. They didn't feel very mild to me. It was just horrible. It's not something I would wish on anybody. And as a rule, I'm a person that's not very ill very often. But I have noticed that if ever I do become ill, because I'm not very ill very often, it knocks me for six. It is like that for some people, isn't it? I mean, they're, yeah. they're fit and well for a long time. And when they yeah. do get something, it does take its toll. Most definitely. And that is the case with me. And that's something that I've identified whenever I have become ill. I don't, I, don't, I mean, you know, like most winters you get colds. I don't get colds very often. But sometimes if I do get one, then it will be, it will take me, it will take hold quite a bit. But fortunately for me, I haven't been ill very much in my lifetime. And that I'm really thankful for. But the, the situation with the suspected COVID-19... It took me by surprise because I, you know, I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. And then suddenly, you know, come back from annual leave after having a, a self-care break to make sure that I'm looking after myself, nurturing myself because of my line of work is quite intense, emotionally intense. Went back for one day and then just was literally floored the next day and I was laid up for, you know, five weeks. And it took about approximately between five to seven weeks for me to feel, you know, a level of normality. Well, thank you for sharing your experience with us, Susan. I felt quite scared. I have been um, an individual that's not, not unfamiliar with 
situations of loss or or death or you know situations where you know you're faced in a situation you're sort of plummeted into the dark depths the the, the dark depths of the abyss I'm not unfamiliar with situations like that that's always been part of my soul call my soul journey so to speak and it's always been part of my my journey so I had to learn to build resilience and I had to learn to build you know a real tenacity and a real determination to be able to get through because I've experienced most of those things on my own and that has been the pattern of my life and that continues. Well I understand that you are a soul coach so what, ins- so what inspired you to become a soul coach and what does that involve? Basically, I've, I've basically, I've always done, I started off my employment journey as a secretary, receptionist, uh, PA. And I've always been really interested in, in sort of words, information and things like that. But basically from the period, I'd say from 2013, to 2014, I qualified to become a National Career Service Advisor. And prior to that, I was an Information Advice and Guidance Advisor. That was supporting people in the capacity of supporting people on a one-to-one basis to go through their journey of looking at their career, their training, and their employment desires. And and I really enjoyed that process. It was very target-driven. But I did actually enjoy doing that role. But what happened is, roughly, I would say probably from about 2015 or 2014, I started to feel that there was something much more. And I've always been a very deep individual that looks at life in a very, very deep way. There's a level of intensity about me, which I totally admit to. And I started to feel that there was much more to life and it would be a good thing to do in supporting people like I had done in looking at one's life and reasons why some things happen and reasons why they didn't and start the process of really having a look around what life presents to you and what it's actually revealing to you. So I started to think about being a little bit more supportive in a different way and utilising the skills that I'd already acquired from my previous employment history and then amalgamated it, amalgamating it in a much more deeper way and more meaningful way and with a sense of purpose. So how does one become a soul coach? You, you've asked me just, just before that, what does it involve? Mm-hmm. And basically, it's it involves allowing yourself to tune into your intuition into your higher self that still inner still voice that you you hear if you allow yourself to be still and you allow yourself to be silent and also using visual aids as a depiction and what it involves is tapping into your body when you allow yourself to be still when you allow yourself to be quiet without distraction it's about connecting with your higher self and spirit and source some people will say god some people will say Buddha, some people will say source, some people will say the divine. It depends on where you feel an affinity with. So how would you describe a person's 
higher self. It's that, it's that inner knowingness that you can hear something more than what you are. It's that, it's a feeling, it's an energy feeling. It's, it's very hard to rationalize it in a logical sense. It's about a feeling that you have, that you are connected to something higher than you and something bigger than you. It's an energy feeling. So is the, is the higher self a part of the soul, of a person's soul, or is it their soul? It is a part of a person's soul, yes. And everybody does have the capacity to reach that if they allow themselves to be, you know, to tune in, be quiet, be still, and really get into that energy field and that, that state of being able to hear what's being said. So how long have you been a soul coach? I started, did my spiritual coaching qualification in 2014. I did, I did back-to-back study, really, because I'm quite a driven individual. First of all, I did my careers information, advice and guidance, level two, level three, and then level four. And then when I had completed my level four in careers information, advice and guidance, I then decided to go straight on to, and do some distance learning in a qualification entitled spiritual coaching. That depth was what I was looking for. That depth of wisdom and knowledge was what I was looking for. It's what I was seeking and sought out. And that started me on my journey. And once I had started and I'd finished it, that's when I started doing it. I then went on to do a qualification in numerology. And that's where I'm standing at the moment. And so 2014, I would say that I started embarking on the journey of becoming a soul intuitive coach. And I created my Facebook page, which at the time was called Seeds of Spirit. I then called it a different name to Susan Lawrence Soul Coaching later on. And then in 2015, I created a group and that runs alongside the page. That's where my journey started with that. And I've gone on from strength to strength. So the way you became a soul coach, would you recommend that for someone who was interested in taking that path? Would I recommend it? I think you have to, A, really feel that you've got a sense, that you've got a purpose to help others. I think that it helps if you are a curious individual it helps if you are an individual that is a seeker of truth. It helps if you are not afraid to confront your shadow dark spaces within yourself. And it helps if you have done it yourself. So then you can actually empathize with others that are going through some of their own experiences and then enable them and support them and empower them to grow in their own right in accordance to their highest and greatest good. So what type of services do you offer to potential clients? I offer one-to-one coaching sessions. I can either do one-off readings whereby I will do an intuitive reading and I can pick up things from photographs. I use visual spiritual aids such as 
guidance cards and I've got lots of different ones and I like to get lots of different ones because each picture tells a story and each deck has its own energy. I couple that along with my skills from my career's information, advice and guidance and basically what I do is I offer the intuitive side, the spiritual side as a way of connecting the person to their soul encouraging them to really truly reflect on what their intuition is actually trying to tell them and that is by probing open questions and to some degree it is very much like a person-centered counseling session but it works so how do you measure your success rate with people then i measure my success rate by the feedback that i receive from my clients that tells me a story and I measure how, whether it's been successful on whether they come back. And recently, I have had somebody that has had a, a good few readings with me and they've come back. So that actually, made, that actually feels that they were happy with the service and that they were getting their needs met in accordance with the truth that they need to find at each given moment in time. How would you describe a person's intuition or gut instinct? I had defined it as intuition. I define intuition as a feeling, a sense of knowing without explaining it through the logical mind, but more in the way that it feels in relation to the energy and how it feels in your body. I, I'll give you an example. Usually, if you're in tune in, on an intuitive level, you can always tell if something feels right on a soul level by the way that it feels. It will either give you an indication that it feels right because it sits comfortably in your gut, or there will be a sense of unease that will give you an indication that it's not quite right. So do you think that women have stronger powers of intuition than men? I think to comment on that would be very generalistic. I think it's an individual thing and I, I, I don't think it's fair to break it down into gender because you do have some men that are exceptionally intuitive and you do have some men that are really in tune and probably to some degree in a different way than women. So I think it's an individualistic thing. It also pertains to a person's experience, life experiences. It also pertains to their religious and spiritual experience and experiences and also any practices that they may be familiar with. Well, I only asked the question because I noticed that the vast majority of tarot readers or psychics or mediums tend to be women. I mean, I have I have noticed men yeah. providing those services as well, but yeah. it seems to me it's, it's mostly women who provide those type of services. There could be an answer to that if I was to look at it from a more, if I was to look at it from a more sort of logical way in understanding that men, to some degree, men are conditioned not to get in touch. Men are conditioned not to get in touch with their emotions and feelings because they've been told that they shouldn't. They've been told that they're supposed to be strong, that they shouldn't cry, that they have to go and do and be the hunter and the gatherer. 
and they're not to show any form of weaknesses. So to some degree, there needs to be a level of, when you're in touch with your intuition, there can be, with if, if a man is in touch with his intuition, then there could be a capacity, or there is, I have found actually, a capacity that he's also quite in touch with his feminine side. Okay. Well, I asked a question because every time I have gone against my intuition, I have paid a very heavy price. So I have learned the hard way to pay attention. Which is normally the case, Nigel. But quite often people will view that in a very black and white way. Well, I didn't listen to my intuition, therefore I paid the price. I listened to my intuition, therefore I didn't pay the price. However, if we take a little bit of a grey in between, one could actually say, I listened to my intuition and I didn't pay the price. I didn't listen to my intuition, but I actually learnt. So how can intuition help a person when they're making a relationship decision? I think the key thing for intuition in relation to relationships is to recognise anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, anything that doesn't sit well, and that's recognising red flags sooner rather than later and vocalising what one has recognised and having a very honest conversation, first of all with self, and then actually allowing yourself to be vulnerable with the other person that you've entered in a relationship with, and actually vocalise and express what you've identified. And it's in that process, the person will either be upfront and willing to have a conversation, or there will be an element of denial. And that actually speaks volumes in itself. I would have to agree with that. So, Susan, what are your future plans on your journey of life? I am currently studying distance, another distance learning qualification. And I am working towards my specialist counsellor qualification. I've just done a paper on dysfunctional families. And the identification of that was that the most dysfunctional family was that of alcoholism and the impact it has on the spouse or the partner and the children. But in this study that I'm doing, I'm going to be covering grief and loss and anger, dysfunctional families um, and all things like that. Now, I, I've got, in some ways, you could say that I've got a lot of experience with that because I have raised three children to sit to adulthood to become totally independent by myself. I can honestly say to you, hand on heart, that I haven't done everything right, but I've only ever carried forward what I was taught. And it was through going through that journey and beginning to recognize where my mistakes were and learning to work towards changing some patterns of behavior that I got to understand an element of the dysfunctional family. My family has formed very much a part of experiencing loss, rejection and abandonment in various forms. And that ranges from me as the parent right down to my last child and all of them. And we've all experienced 
a process and a journey in loss, rejection and abandonment. So that journey in itself was quite intense. There'd been a lot of learning. There had been a lot of learning to understand what goes on behind the feelings of loss, rejection and abandonment and how it can make a child feel, how it can make an adult feel. And it has been a very, very deep learning journey. Well, the experiences of life tend to be learning lessons. It really depends. It just depends whether the individual concerned is prepared to take the lessons on. That's right. And, and, whether, and, and it's also about the mindset on how it's viewed. I did a post, a meme recently on my page. And basically, we can either say, we can either ask the universe, why me? Why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why me? But basically, spirit, soul and the universe gives us experiences so that we can learn resilience, tenacity and determination, so that we can learn to turn any negative experiences from saying, why me, to actually turning it around and saying, try me. Well, that's one of my favourite sayings, actually. So, Susan, how can people contact you? You People can contact me by my Facebook page, which is entitled Susan Lawrence Soul Coaching. I've also got a group that runs alongside Susan Lawrence Soul Coaching, and that's Spiritual Thoughts and Reflections, The Journey. That's a bit more of a private space, so that if people do want to actually share some of their experiences, comments, and the statuses, remarks, or whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more private. I've, my email address is SusanLawrenceSoulCoaching at gmail.com. You can also reach me by Messenger on my actual coaching page on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn as Susan Lawrence Soul Coaching. So there are many forms in which way to actually reach out. I do a booking appointment system. I tend to accept payment by PayPal. I'm quite flexible in my approach. I, I do sometimes do a, a free 20-minute consultation call just so that I can get a feel of the person and they can get a feel of me to see whether, A, I'm a good fit for them or even if they're a good fit for me. Well, that sounds good. You're very easy to get in touch with, it seems to me. So, Susan Lawrence, Soul Coach, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Nigel, for having me. It's been a really enjoyable experience and I wish you a wonderful evening. Take care now. Thank you for listening. Please join me for another In Conversations podcast very soon for more interesting and entertaining discussions. Stay safe.